Take your Bible today and join me by turning to Luke chapter 10, if you will. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42 is where we'll find our text for today. And with the Lord's help, if you would turn your hearts and give your attention to the reading of his word. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us. Lord, we remember what your word says to us, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And we come in this hour asking that you would teach us to love your word. Lord, we come praying that you would teach us to find our delight in your commandments, for it is there that we find life, that we obtain your favor. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Lord, we are very simple people, and we need your wisdom, and we need your grace, that we might trust you at all times in every season of our lives. Lord, in, in every moment in uh, challenging times, in uh, times of sowing and times of harvest. Lord, when we are on the mountain and in the valley, we always need your grace. So we pray that you would come and teach us, minister to our hearts. We ask this in the name of your son, amen. Tomorrow is another Monday. It's another work week. It's another school week. Um, it's another week of attending to various needs that you have in your life, managing your household. Uh, for some of you, going to doctor's visits, all kinds of different needs. But you can be sure that it will be filled with all manner of troubles and needs and concerns. Some of those things are things you already know about and, and things, uh, there are other things that are still yet to be revealed. There are things that you don't know about that I don't know about that this week holds. But they're all things that vie for our energy and our attention. Uh, they're all things that 
compete for our resources and our time. We all have things that are pressing in on us, things that are weighing down upon us and that threaten to overburden our souls. They're things that um, they tempt us to be anxious about everything. There are many things capable of making you anxious and troubled. Only one thing is necessary. You have an untold number of things right now that are clamoring for your attention, but only one thing is needful to your soul. David said it this way in Psalm 73. He said, it is good to be near the Lord. Simple. It's good to be near the Lord. He said that on one of his his darkest days uh, during some really uh, dark, times in his life. This was during a season when he felt very much hemmed in on every side. He found himself distracted by the things of the world. Uh, He even went so far to question whether it was worth it to uh, stand in faith, trusting the Lord, to pursue the Lord, or to maybe run after the course of the world. But he says in that Psalm, Psalm 73, that it was during that time that he went to the sanctuary of God. He went to God's dwelling place. He went to commune with the Lord and he spent time there in worship and in prayer before the face of God. And it was there, it was in that context that he began to see things aright. He began to get the kind of uh, discernment and clarity and wisdom that he needed about life and about eternal things. It was there that he discovered what our text describes as the better portion, the good portion, your Bible may say. He said, it's good to be near God. And that is what we have under consideration together today as a church, choosing the good portion, learning the necessity of sitting and waiting before the Lord being fed by the food of God's word, delighting ourselves in the nearness of the Lord. It's a very simple text. It has a very simple message, but we all need to hear it. It's one we just so very much need to hear. And we are in Bethany in this episode uh, at the, the home of Martha and Mary. Luke doesn't tell us we're in Bethany, uh, probably because this episode doesn't fit in chronologically uh, with Jesus's travels. Uh, Bethany is right outside of Jerusalem. And we know Jesus spent some time there at Martha and Mary's house. This is where right before the crucifixion, right before the triumphal entry, um, Jesus raises Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, from the dead. And and they're right there in their home. So why do we find this episode here? It's possible that Luke has pulled this story forward in his account to provide us with a contrast with the religious expert that we saw last week when we looked at the lawyer Uh, someone who in one sense knew everything that there was to know 
about the things of God and yet in another respect was still very much at square one in his journey of discipleship and understanding uh, what it meant to love God and certainly to love the Messiah, that, that expert, so to speak. He was one of those, quote, wise and understanding ones in the eyes of the world from whom the, the things of the kingdom of God are hidden. Well, now we come to one of those little children, those to whom the father delights to show the kingdom of God for such is his gracious will. Such is his gracious will. Now, before we get to that little one, let's look first at Martha. Uh, If you look at verse 38, it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So you see the first thing happening here in this scene, Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. Jesus comes into town And Martha moves into action. She immediately springs into action, showing hospitality to the Lord. And this is a very important theme in the third gospel, in the gospel according to Luke. We have seen Jesus uh, sitting at table uh, a number of times, sitting even at a Pharisee's table, dining with sinners. We've seen instructions given first to the twelve and then to the 72, looking for those who would receive them into their home, contrasted with those who don't receive them. Martha receives Jesus. She welcomes him into her house. And that is something that's to be commended. All Christians are to show hospitality. We are to uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's not just a spiritual gift given to some. It's something that all believers are to aim to to show and to look for opportunities to demonstrate to to, to others, uh, with with others' lives. So this is is good, uh, blessed, lawful conduct that we see in Martha. Now, as is the case in, in many households, you've got two very different siblings here. Christ comes into this home. Uh, Martha immediately gets to work and she is probably bustling around the kitchen, setting things in order. She is probably immediately trying to see what she can do to get a meal put together. Mary, on the other hand, what do we find her doing? She sits at the Lord's feet. And she listens to his teaching. So just consider that for, uh, uh, w- with me for just a minute. Mary sits at the Lord's feet. What does that teach us? Well, first we just see her posture. She's sitting. What does that convey? There's a spirit of humility. There's an there's a, there's a outward expression of an inward attitude of the heart pictured here. Uh, She respects the Lord. There's a spirit of receptivity. Uh, There's a spirit of inward spiritual longing. She wants to know what Jesus would say to her. She wants to listen. 
She wants to be taught. This is the very same thing that we saw happen back in chapter eight. Uh, You remember where the man is possessed by the legion of demons and Jesus works so miraculously in his life. He cleanses him of those demons. They're sent into that herd of pigs. They go plummeting off the hillside. The herdsmen come back to Jesus. And what do they find? They find the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So there you have an outward posture uh, that conveys this inward attitude of the heart. It's one of teachability and submission, hunger to know what the Lord's will is. This is one of the things I've shared with pastor friends of mine that I so uh, delight to see in the body that uh, God has brought to this church. Uh, Often I can see the posture of hunger in your hearts for the word of God. And it, it doesn't always look the same and it doesn't have to look the same. Some of you sit forward on the edge of your seat and some of you sit back and, and, and you can see it in your, your, your face. And some of you, are, your, your eyebrows are all wrinkled up and you're trying to get as much as you can out and others have pads and are writing and some would never dare to write because they want to make sure that you wanna, you hear every word. It's conveyed in different ways, but it all speaks of what is on the inside, what the desire of the heart really is teachability, submission, hunger to know the will of the Lord and to experience fellowship with him. This is especially remarkable in Mary's case because she is a woman. And this is a culture where you didn't often find women seated at the feet of rabbis. It's not that it didn't ever happen, but it was, generally speaking, fairly rare. Now add to that the fact that Jesus has just come into her house. And surely, as Martha's very much aware of, there would have been many things for her to give her attention to. Uh, There would have been many things that she could have chosen to devote herself to, tidying up the house. You have an unexpected visitor drop by. Maybe you've had that happen before. She could have begun lending a hand in the kitchen, helping to prepare a meal, but not Mary. She is not going to let an opportunity like this pass her by. Not when the Lord of glory has come into her home. Not when the promised Messiah is in her presence and she has the opportunity to sit and to soak in everything that he might say to her, to fellowship with him. Mary is a a silent witness in this text. If If you read carefully, you'll notice she never says a word and yet she says so much. She has so much to teach us here. We see in her this earnest desire to be discipled, this real uh, eagerness to submit her life and faith and obedience to him. That's the longing of her soul. Now, you might think as you, as you read this passage that that is the key contrast uh, in the text. One of these women's listening, the other is serving. 
One has chosen this life of quiet contemplation, and the other, a life of active service. But that would be to miss the teaching of the text. That is not the contrast the scripture draws our attention to, and it's so important that we get this right. If you look at verse 40, you will find the contrast. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. So brothers and sisters, the the problem we find in Martha's life was not that she was serving, but that she was distracted with much serving. The word to underline in that sentence is not serving, but distracted. Here is Martha, and she is slaving away in the kitchen. You can, you can imagine the scene. She's scurrying around. She is wiping sweat from her brow. She's thinking about all the things that need to get into place. She's working up her mental to-do list. Church busyness isn't a 21st century problem. If I were to ask you, if we closed the doors and just opened one and put you all into a single file line on the way out today and took a survey and said, how was your week last week? Nine out of 10 of you, probably more would say, busy. And that includes me. Most of us would say busy, but that is not a modern problem. This is a passage that demolishes that idea. It's a passage that removes all of our excuses, all of our imaginations, that if we could just go back, if we could just go back to a simpler time, all would be well. Then I could have the kind of walk with the Lord that I really want to have in my innermost heart. Other generations didn't have the kinds of distractions that we have. Well, brothers and sisters, that that may be true in some regard, but we choose to give our attention to what we give our attention to. It isn't true that if we just had a few more hours in the day, we'd have more time for the Lord. No, the condition of our hearts is what it is. Our affections are set on what they are. Our attention is directed where it is because of what's on the inside, not because of what's on the outside. It's because of the orientation of our hearts. Our energy and our attention is fixed on what it is because we have already determined what's important to us. We've already made that decision. Give us more time, and we will spend more time doing what we already do, apart from a real turning to the Lord, which is exactly what the Lord was calling Martha to that day, to repent of her distractedness from the things of God and to choose again the better portion, just as he is calling us to today. Martha found herself overburdened. She was pre occupied, preoccupied before the Lord ever walked in to her house. She had her priorities in order. 
She was distracted with much, with much serving. And so in comes Jesus. She is distracted. Distracted from what? Distracted from the king. Distracted from the Lord. She's pulled away from fellowship with him. So church, you have two women here who are both absorbed in something. They are both very much taken up with what is important to them, with their respective priorities, the priorities of the heart. Now, I want you to see what happens in Martha's heart as she continues to go on in this way. Look at verse 40. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, church, do you see how she's mulled things over in her mind? And not only has she been serving, but she's been thinking about what a good job she has been doing. She has spent time ruminating over her good deeds, her service to the Lord, her history of faithfulness. What a dangerous pattern of thought this is for us to give ourselves over to, to fall into this way of thinking. What does it produce? You can see it here. What has this wrought in her life? She has become frustrated. She has become perturbed. She has become filled with self-righteousness over her good deeds. You see the fruit that it's, that it's brought forth. What conclusions has she come to here? Well, she's actually worked up on two accounts. First, there's the fact that Mary is not pulling her, her weight. Here is, here is Martha, and she's bending over backwards. She is serving. Mary doesn't lift a finger. So, so there is in Martha's service so much of Martha. There's so much of herself. It's not the kind of self-forgetful service that the Lord calls us to. It's not service that is clothed in humility. It's service that is actually very full of pride. It's not service that delights to give no matter who is looking or whether anyone else happens to come alongside and serve or not. This is service that keeps very careful records. It's service that says, look at me. Why doesn't anyone else bother to pitch in? Did you know that service can be selfish? Did you know that, that ministry can be all about me? But then it's not just Mary she is frustrated with. As you can see, it's also Jesus. It's also Christ himself. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? In other words, Lord, you don't care. You don't care. She's exasperated with Jesus. Don't you see what's going on here? Doesn't any of this matter to you? Aren't you going to say something? Look at how much I'm doing. Look at how hard I'm working. So in her 
self-serving. She begins to grumble. And as she begins to grumble, she indicts the Lord Jesus. She indicts him. And you can see that behind her complaint, there is that same spirit of self-righteousness. She says, I alone am serving. I alone. Have you ever had thoughts like that? Be honest. Be honest with yourselves and before the Lord, brothers and sisters. Have you ever found yourself thinking in that way? This is an opportunity, not just for Martha. This is an opportunity for us to examine our hearts. Have you ever found yourself doing the right thing on the outside while on the inside you are indulging in self-pity? You begin to nurse those roots of bitterness against those who just don't get it. They, they don't give themselves to the Lord in the way that you did. Now, of course, this is, this is not so obvious when we are the ones gripped by it. This is Martha's ministry. This is the way she serves. But you see how prominent she is in all of it. My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. You see how blind we can become when we lose sight of the one thing that is necessary, when we become distracted by whatever it is in our lives. Martha has become so confident of her position that she actually has the temerity to come forward and to order Jesus to tell her sister to help her. What is really needed here in in, in Martha's mind is for Jesus to step in and to tell Mary to to get, get off her tail and help Martha in the kitchen. And you see the arrogance, you see the the presumption and the pride of our hearts, but it's all under the guise of Christian service. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth begins to speak and Martha's words begin to open up what's going on, open up the inner workings of, of her heart. And they show that The problem that she is facing and that we often face as the Lord's people isn't that we're serving. Again, that's very important to emphasize here. The issue in Martha's life isn't that she works hard or that she sacrifices or that she labors on Christ's behalf, but what place those things take in her life, the the kind of esteem and recognition she gives to him. That has become essentially for Martha a functional idol in her life. That's the heart of the problem here. She's busy serving. That that may be true, but she's also busy in self-comparison. She's busy in resentment. She's busy thinking about all the ways all the other people around her haven't measured up how they have failed to serve her. What a trap this is in our lives. We may be busy serving the Lord ostensibly speaking. But inasmuch as our service is to be seen or to be recognized or a service that flies off the handle when someone around us doesn't recognize what we're doing or service that distracts us from uh, communion with the one we say we are serving, it is worthless. It's worthless. 
And that's what's happening here. Martha's service in the end is service that is at the expense of fellowship with God. Fellowship with the Lord. And she takes him to task over his failure to take care of the situation. But look at the tenderness of Christ's reply. If you feel pierced by how this, this text opens up your own heart, look at how gracious the Lord is with his people. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Do you see the kindness of the Lord? You see the gentleness of our Savior? He repeats her name, he gets her attention, and then he makes his appeal. First, he acknowledges the burden and the stress that she has placed herself under. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. In Martha's case, it's, the, it's what we call today the tyranny of the urgent. She's hosting Jesus. For you, I don't know what it is, but it is a perpetual temptation. It's a temptation for every single one of us in the room. Uh, Paul talks about just Christian households. He talks about husbands and wives, how we find ourselves anxious about many worldly things, how to please our spouse, how our interests are divided. Uh, Jesus said to, to all of his people, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And all of those things are things that threaten to overwhelm you. They threaten to, to overburden your soul. Now, what is your greatest need in those times? In fact, not just in those times, but in every hour of your life. It is to look to Christ in earnest, believing faith. It is to draw near to him in fellowship. Friends, Satan wants you to believe that if you could just get all of the things you have on your plate done, if you could just get your, your check, checklist completed, then you'd really be at rest. Then you would come to this place of inner peace. But brothers and sisters, that's a bill of goods. That, that is a bill of goods. That is a demonic lie. Our great need will always be to draw near to Christ, not to try to resolve our own worries and our fears, and our anxieties, or to look for comfort in a finished to-do list, but to draw near to the Lord, as David did. It is good to be near the Lord. Do you know that? Do you know that goodness? Now, I want you to just observe that, that Martha's interests here aren't anything that we would immediately identify as something that's worrisome. They actually seem pretty reasonable. In fact, just at a surface level, they seem justifiable. She's serving the Lord, but that's exactly where the point of deception lies in all of this. There's nothing unlawful about her activity. And the same is going to be true for you this week. The same is going to be true 
for the, the vast majority of the things that you will be giving your time and attention to this week. Your energy will be taken up with family concerns, business concerns, uh, young people, school, education, financial concerns, serving in the church, ministry concerns, concerns about your future. None of those things are, are unlawful. They, they are, in fact, a part of uh, your calling in Christ to attend to. But what happens when those concerns rise to this, this place of distraction in your heart and mind? What happens when the discharge of those duties doesn't flow out of this vibrant living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, one where you are being careful to abide in him and him and you? What happens when that's the case? That's where you begin to run into real danger. That's where you begin to so quickly become encumbered by the many things uh, the Lord Jesus drew Martha's attention to. When that one needful thing is what you really need. The one needful thing goes entirely crowded out. Uh, back in, in chapter eight, again, we heard Jesus talk about uh, different kinds of hearers, uh, hearers of the word in the parable of the soils. And he talks there in one place about those who hear the word but the riches and pleasures of life enter in and they choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. So there are some who, who just run headlong into that which is opposed to Christ. And in doing so, they meet their destruction. The, the seed of the gospel does not spring forth in their lives. Idolatrous desires crowd out the good news of Jesus Christ. But church, those aren't the only things that can choke out the word of the gospel. In the same breath, Jesus, call, Jesus talks about what he simply calls the cares of life. The cares of life. Now, take that phrase and think about all in your life that has the potential to fall into that category. How many of your worries and troubles fall under that umbrella, the cares of life. Now, here again, the word of God, that can choke out the seed of the word. In Martha's worry and care, she missed the one needful thing. She was burdened. Uh, she was busied with many things, but she missed the one thing that was really needful to her souls. And we're not even talking about salvation here in this instance. We know that because this was a believing household. As I said earlier, these are Lazarus's sisters. Martha is the one to whom Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he, he looked at Martha and he said, do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. And there are many believers who like Martha would say, Jesus is my only hope and trust. 
He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the one uh, who came into the world. He suffered and died. He was crucified, buried. He rose on the third day for my sins. He's the resurrection and the life. And I know that in him, though I die, yet shall I be made alive. And yet at the same time, you find yourself distracted by many things cumbered down with a load of cares. And that that one thing that once was so precious, so dear to you, sitting at the feet of Christ, being fed by the food of his word has somehow lost its place in your life. And you are uh, consequently walking through life loaded down with these burdens and these cares that you are not meant to carry. Christ would bid you again, come to him, come to him, hear his words afresh. Come to me, all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, and I will give you rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. This is not a contrast between a uh, contemplative, a monastic kind of lifestyle, and one of active service. The point of this text is not to say, well, you know, you've got some people in the church that are Marthas, and you've got some people that are Marys, and you need some of each. That's not what this text is teaching us. It is rather to direct all of us to that good portion, which will not be taken away. If you just step back, you tra- trace out the contrast. You, you, you have one who sits, you have one who's standing and busy serving. You have one who's listening. You have one who's distracted. You have one who's resting at the feet of Jesus. What do we find in the other? She's anxious. She's troubled. Mary set her heart on one thing. Martha has many things she's trying to juggle. Martha is loaded down with many unnecessary things. Mary is fixed on one necessary thing. Now, church, where do you find yourself? Where do you see yourself in this picture? Don't let that question go by unanswered. Where do you find yourself today? Mary chose the good portion While Martha is busy, she's harried, she's trying her very best to be a good hostess. She's doing her best to put together this great meal. Mary, on the other hand, sat down with Jesus. That's all she did. She sat down and she listened to Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, that was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. She chose the good portion. When Jesus says that, um, he is, he's clearly playing off of this idea that Mary is, or Martha rather, is busy in the kitchen. She's busy attending to mortal concerns. She's busy tarrying over food that is to be served. And Jesus says there is a better portion to be had here. There's better food to be had. Richard Sibbs says this. He says, Jesus took occasion to heal her error in judgment who thought Christ came to be feasted 
when he came to feast them. Isn't that good? He took occasion to heal her error in judgment who thought Christ came to be feasted when he came to feast them. Christ has come to feast us. He's come to to nourish our souls, brothers and sisters. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What do we hunger for? What do we long for? It's a question of appetite. It's a question of spiritual longing. Mary chose Christ. She chose grace. She chose the spiritual provision offered in the Son of God. Martha chose uh, preparing a portion for Christ. Mary is choosing Christ to be her portion. In John chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus says this, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Isaiah chapter 55, you've heard this text. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. One thing I want you to especially take notice of in this passage is that word chosen. Mary has chosen the good portion. That word tells us that the difference between these two sisters isn't just a matter of temperament or personality or natural disposition. There are some things that are like that in families. Sometimes we talk about how people are wired. You may have, if you have more than one child, in your home. You may have found yourself saying before, how can two kids that came from the same parents be so different? That's not the situation that you have here. Mary's interest in the Lord isn't just a result of natural inclination. It's one of conscious, deliberate choice. Mary has chosen the better Portion. She chose to be taught by Christ. She chose to be fed by him. Will you choose the same? If we're going to choose the good portion, we have to learn to let go of the less than good. We have to learn to cut ties with the, the less than best portion. Paul talks about uh, this when he prays for the church and Uh, The book of Philippians, he talks about what he prays for the believers there. In Philippians 1, he says, It's my prayer that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray you may approve what is excellent. In other words, I pray that you may learn to make distinctions in your Christian walk. I pray that you would learn to grow in your uh, discernment uh, between the lawful and the better and learn to live in light of them. 
that we might be ready for the return of Christ. So here is a test for us, church. Do the occupations of our hearts as they stand today, do the occupations of our hearts help or hinder us in view of this heavenly calling? Are we taken up with that which is preparing our souls for the day of Christ's return? At the feet of Jesus is every good thing. Light to lead us on our journey, grace to strengthen us in every hour, mercy for our every sin. This is where the good portion is to be found. Now I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 16. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like with me. This is from Psalm 16, uh, beginning in verse 5. Psalm 16, beginning in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. You hear the conscious, deliberate choice there. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You, have, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Sitting at the feet of Christ, learning from him, feeding on him, that will not be taken away from you, dear ones. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He will not be taken away from us, nor we from him. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to examine ourselves today. Lord, help us to consider ourselves aright. Lord, we ask for your help in approving what is excellent. Lord, we pray for your grace this day. Grace to choose the good portion. Grace, Lord, to find our rest in Christ and to forsake all of our preoccupations with so many other things. And we ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take our example from Mary, uh, to cast all our cares on you and simply learn to, to wait upon the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would renew our affections. I pray that you would stimulate our appetite for the food of your word. Give us a hunger for uh, deeper fellowship with our Savior. 
Draw us to yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.